You've got to love the Friday episodes of this podcast. One, it's Friday. And two, it's following Thursday, always a day of big news. It's hard to know where we should start. It's this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Jane Cahoon, Chris Ranowski, and Laura Johnston. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Hey, hey. Happy Friday. <laughs> Let's start. I know where I want to start. Why is Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost, a Republican, opposing the latest move in the courts to overturn the election of Joe Biden, a move supported by his party leader, President Donald Trump? Jane Cahoon, this was pretty much a jaw dropper because Dave Yost, when he intervenes in other suits, he almost always seems like a Republican opportunist. But the language he used in this was not. I mean, it was a bold, independent move by Dave Yost. Yeah, he is taking a rather bold position here. But but if you read his news release about this and you didn't know better, you might have thought he was really like all in with Texas and Trump. But in any event, uh, on Thursday, he filed this brief with the U.S. Supreme Court that basically opposed the Texas lawsuit's goal of delaying the Electoral College from from voting uh, for Joe Biden to be the next president or, you know, throwing out these electors from Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And uh, Yost, you're right, used some some strong language saying that that such a ruling would undermine a foundational premise of our federalist system, uh, the idea that states are sovereigns free to govern themselves. And he basically said the court has no business ordering states how to choose electors. And uh, so, but then, you know, while he did disagree with that part of it, he did encourage the Supreme Court to rule on whether these election changes that were made in various states uh, kind of at, you know, late in the game are, are constitutional or not. He said it's not unreasonable to wonder whether those hastily implemented changes expose the election systems to vulnerabilities. So he points out that there's there are future elections, you know, and that we we really should uh, get this resolved. And uh, one interesting thing is this this happened on the same day that uh, more than 40 Ohio Republicans in the legislature wrote to him and asked him to join the the Texas suit on Trump's behalf. And um you know, because this is such a big priority, right? When they have a slew of important issues to deal with in the in the lame duck, but um, it's really quite shameful. I mean, these are all people that are trying to deprive millions of voters of their votes to steal an election. You know, not a day goes by where I don't get two or three emails from people saying, "Chris, you know, you're you, you keep saying these are unsubstantiated. Uh, they're not unsubstantiated." You know, some people are arguing that the fraud is so good it's not detectable. It's like we are living in the <laughs> world of the emperor's new clothes, and these people are incapable of independent thought. They cannot. It just boggles my mind that you can look at this situation, you know, the president going on and on about how fraud and Fox News morons saying it's fraud. It's fraud. There's not a single piece of evidence that there's fraud. And yet millions of people are incapable of looking at this situation objectively and getting that. And the, the nonsense I get from people about that. I mean, my favorite is it's undetectable. 
it's like, <laughs> I thought that was a joke. I didn't know somebody no, was actually claiming no, that. They're actually saying that because of the changes they made, it allowed fraud to happen that we can't detect. That'd be like saying the bank robber was so good that there's no missing money. <laughs> it's just dumb. Um, well, that, yeah, speaking of reality here, if I could just go back to Yost's news release you, you got to wonder whether how proud he is of taking this bold position because his press release basically framed it as, you know, he's filing this brief urging the Supreme Court to accept the case and rule on the Constitution's election clause as soon as possible. And then later down in the release, it just says uh, the brief expressed skepticism about Texas's argument, which is like really an understatement, I think, given the language that he used in the brief. And well, you know, and why? Then, you know, why? I mean, we are living in times where unless you tow Trump's line in the Republican Party, you could get primaried, you could get challenged. So he's trying. It looks to me like he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to say, no, voting is inviolate. But then putting a numbskull PR <laughs> to say, look, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a diehard Trump Republican. Yeah, uh, it, you it, can't it, have it both ways. Now, well, he fi- the, the thing that matters is the brief he filed in the court. The, you know, the other thing that's bogus is where he's saying these last minute changes should be ruled on because it, ex- it could expose the election. We're talking about last minute changes like extending by a couple of days the deadline for receiving absentee ballots because so many people got them because of the coronavirus. I mean, this was a plague right. year. These are changes. These are like changes because of a once in 100 year pandemic. And changing the deadline for mail-in ballots does not expose the system to extra fraud. That's just nonsense that that people parroted. So it's a little disappointing he went that way. But But given the way he's intervened, in national suits and suits elsewhere since he took this job. This was a surprise. I did can not I, can I, I wouldn't have thought him capable. Chris Ranowski. Didn't didn't we have a a much more, I guess, extreme impact on the primary election in the spring? Remind me. I mean we 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 did some pretty bold things to to deal with that primary election. We delayed it, right? At the very last right. minute. Like At the, the very last minute, we delayed it. And, yeah, but, not and, a, not a, and made it like all male, but right. virtually all male. And we did we did not see a I don't think a single lawsuit related to that. Well, so, no, 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 no. Stop. Stop. The, the, DeWine did that. He set the election. The legislature was furious because they believe the Constitution of, the, of Ohio gives them the sole authority to set elections. Mm-hmm. They took back that power. They changed the date. They did keep it all male, but there was a lot of gnashing of teeth about who had the power to do that. And and if that were to happen again today, I'm not sure DeWine actually has that power. There are a lot of people that believe he overstepped, that the health department did not have the power to cancel an election. But it didn't result in any, you know, a- allegations of big fraud or, or any no. like huge no. things like right. that. Yeah. I mean, we changed how the election took place at the last minute and, and, you know, the legislature aside, I mean, they, you know, it didn't go to the Supreme court. That's for sure. No, it's a great <laughs> point. Yeah. And, and Yost was not super vocal about how this can't happen. This can't happen. This opens the door for fraud. Not, you know, so, so you got a great point. He's intervening elsewhere to say, huh, these last minute changes, which I'm a stalwart against p- position it for possible fraud. What fraud? What are you talking about? You're changing the deadline. 
Anyway, got to move on. Got a lot to talk about. It's this week in the CLE. Is there a single new idea in what Governor Mike DeWine heralded yesterday as his big announcement of a 21-day protocol to fight the coronavirus? And did he end up caving on his coronavirus curfew to have Browns fans have the dispensation they need to attend Monday night's game? You know, what surprised me, Laura Johnston, is the buildup yesterday. You know, DeWine had a dozen or 10 people come on and talk about the needs to do things. And he actually prefaced what he was saying by, I have to make hard decisions as the governor. So you really thought, oh, he's finally going to take a concrete action. And then nothing. (laughs) Yeah, no, there was a lot of repetition in this message, including saying that the next three weeks are the most important of the entire pandemic for us to follow the rules. And uh, we had a story that pointed out that he said that in July. And then I think, Chris Quinn, you said it happened in September. And I remember it happening with the primetime address in uh, right before Thanksgiving that you know, it's always the next three weeks are the most important. Well, but he said this. But you, but you remember in September, what he said is if Ohio does this for the next two weeks or three weeks, whatever it was, we'll have Thanksgiving. We'll have fall sports. We'll have <laughs> Christmas. I mean, it's just completely bogus. Anyway, keep going. Right. So he's saying this 21 day protocol is going to keep everyone safe and our hospitals from getting overwhelmed, even though it's virtually the same advice that we've been given since March. And there is no enforcement built in. But hey, DeWine did bring in 12 doctors to his briefing to basically tell you to wash your hands. He said we cannot afford on the eve of a very safe and effective vaccine to further overwhelm our hospitals and healthcare providers with a holiday tsunami. And then he named these 10 guidelines, which is basically telling you, stay home, wear a mask, uh, keep your distance from other people, you know, wash your hands and don't eat or drink with anyone outside your household. Which was the, the best <laughs> moment. As soon as he said that, Chris Wernowski was on our chat channel. He goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not supposed to eat with people outside your household and you're keeping the restaurants open. And we jumped on it and said, Laura Hancock asked that question. Laura Hancock was the first reporter. And when she asked him, there was that great moment of pause where Mike DeWine was like, you could see in his face. Oh, I should have thought of this. Uh, uh, And then he came up with this bogus answer. Well, when you're in the restaurant, you should only have people in your household at your table. It was just complete nonsense because the guy he had on actually said, use takeout and delivery. So his own expert is saying, don't go eat in restaurants. And the governor is saying, no, 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 it's fine to eat in restaurants. He could have been bold. He could have said, you know, for three weeks, I'm closing down the restaurants. It's transferring there. You know, there was a, a fascinating study out of South Korea that was released yesterday or the day before about how somebody got it sitting 20 feet away from somebody else because of the way the air flows in the restaurant. It's really evidence that if you take your mask off in an indoor space, you're very likely going to get it. But he didn't do any of that. It was just... You know, and to say, well, in the restaurant, eat with people in your household. I mean, everybody thought that was amusing, right? Oh, yeah. And then and then on top of that, not only, hey, you can go to restaurants, don't eat with anyone outside your family. But, hey, you can also go to a Browns game. Stay home. But 12,000 fans are allowed to attend this Monday night football game in spite of an ongoing nighttime curfew. Um, (laughs) it, It just they. It literally, I mean, he's up there saying, please, please, you know, so our kids can go to school, please stay home. And it's very clear that, and I'm obviously talking as the mother of two kids that should be in school, that that is not working. You can't tell people 
you know, if you behave, we'll be able to have school because people don't care. Well, let's talk about the Browns thing for a minute, because that also had the fascinating paradox. He says, hey, they, they signed these contracts with the National Leagues a long time ago. And, you know, the National League set it for night. So he's allowing four different contests, three football games and a soccer game. Soccer team also owned by the Browns owners, the Haslams. But then he said, that's not really what I'm worried about with the Browns game. I'm worried about people getting together in their homes. It's like, come on, man, you, you're, you're exempting 12,000 people from the curfew to go and walk through gates and sit in the stadium. But you're saying, but the curfew applies to having gatherings in the home. I, it just it makes no sense. And, Alara, we went and talked to restaurant owners and others who are losing their shirts because of this curfew and said, hey, what do you think about the Browns getting the exemption? What did they have to say? Yeah, they're like, this is not fair. It makes no sense. They're going to have people come to their game, uh, come to the bar or the restaurant to watch the game, and they're going to have to send them home at halftime. They're like, it's very awkward. We don't like doing it. Some bars were even saying we might not open on Monday night because we really hate to kick people out. But it is bizarre. Like 12,000 people can be at the the stadium and they can drive home at the very end of the game. But the people who are sitting at a bar can't. And, you know, these restaurant owners are very insistent that they have followed the rules and that their places are safe and that it is safer than having your nine friends over to your house to watch a game. Although we have seen pictures, uh, Chris Wernowski shared a few of incredible crowding without masks at restaurants. And when we pulled the data, Jane Cahoon can talk about this. We pulled the data to find out how the citations are going. And we found that since the beginning, there were, what, 119 citations statewide since March? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, not, I mean, not too many. So, we, you know, we can't even do data analysis with that because 119 across nine months really does not tell you anything. It makes you question whether they are enforcing it, which is what the restaurant owners have said. Look, I run a restaurant. I'm doing everything right. But but I'm being penalized because of the people who are doing it wrong. Go enforce the rules. Make everybody follow the rules. And they're not. I mean, you we all see the pictures, but there's not the citation. So anyway, this was a, a twisted press event and you know the build up like i'm going to announce something bold basically says wash your hands and wear a mask and then lets people go to the browns game it was it was like the opposite of bold i guess it's bold to exempt twelve thousand people from your curfew as a special dispensation (laughs) but but not the kind of boldness i think people who are afraid of this virus were looking for you're listening to this week in the cle It's not just the coronavirus that has been surging this fall. How much has unemployment in Ohio risen of late and where do we stand? Chris Ranowski, I got to tip my hat. You've been talking about the long-term economic effects of this and and predicting things were going to get bad again as the coronavirus got bad again. And very quietly, the unemployment numbers have been surging. Yeah, I don't want to hold myself out as a uh, as a unemployment expert here. I'm just a, you know, just common sense. I, you know, we we're basically at about the same level we were last spring. We jumped more than 30% over the previous week uh to add 36,000 more claims and the number of ongoing jobless claims also rose by nearly 6% to over 270,000 claims according to statistics released on Thursday by the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services. The, the, if, you've, if you've been tracking this, the numbers have been going up uh, sort of a little, a, a little bit every week uh, when they release these numbers. 
but you know, I, I, you know, now that stimulus is pretty much run out and things are sort of starting to get a little more bleak now, continuing claims, which have been falling for several weeks in a row, have been bouncing up and down in the past three weeks, indicating that the state's economy is starting to be affected by the latest wave of the coronavirus. So, you know, I, I think in the the absence of any stimulus for small businesses, big businesses, and and for individual people, these th- this issue is going to keep coming up. And let's not add let's, let's not forget to add the other issue, which is that utility disconnections are starting again. So. So we're, you know, we're heading into a dark winter for a number of reasons, uh, you know, for health reasons, but also for economic reasons. I, but, you know, but, I, but I thought Cleveland had, even though the, the moratorium on the utility disconnections is over, Cleveland has a policy of not doing that in the wintertime. So well, that's, that's, that's Cleveland. That's one community <laughs> that's, you know, they're, it's a big community you know, with a lot of poverty in it. So, right. It, it, right. But we, you know, I mean, it's, this is, you know, it, it's, I, I don't like to think of this as just a, you know, Cleveland Lakewood or whatever. I, you know, this is something that's affecting the whole state and, you know, there, there are places that aren't going to be doing this for the residents. So it's bleak, but you know, it's, you know, hopefully they will be able to get us, you know, I hope people may manage to make that $1,200 they got back in the spring stretch through this whole time. And, and 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 maybe they'll get another three uh, six hundred dollars tossed down to them from Congress so, if they ever so, ever come together and do something. So sticking with employment for a second, the, normally in the period of um, November and December, you see a jump in unemployment because there are a lot of temporary retail workers that mm-hmm. are hired for the Christmas shopping season. Nobody or very few people are shopping in stores, so you're you're not seeing that bump. Uh, is that part of what we're seeing with unemployment or would that really be what we'd see in January? Um, I mean, it's hard to say. I, I think that probably would not be, I think you're right. I don't know that that would be evident until, you know, we start seeing numbers closer to the holiday and after the holiday. But, you know, I, I think, I think those jobs are moving to places like Amazon and, and, and you see, I mean, stores are hiring, you know, if you do, if you do drive around and you, you, you know, you ha- have had to go out and shop, there are, there are places like Target that are, do have signs up saying we are hiring for the holidays, $15 an hour or something like that. Really? So, yeah, it's I mean, I mean, they're still going to need people. I mean, we, we talked about this yesterday that Target has started doing, you know, same day delivery for, for some stuff. So I think they're trying to sort of I think some businesses are try, some of these retail businesses are kind of trying to pivot to, a, you know, a different method of serving customers in a way that helps them compete better with places like Amazon during this economy. Okay. Well, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. What does Marsha Fudd say she wants to do as the new head of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development when Joe Biden becomes president next month? Jane Cahoon, she gave Sabrina Eaton a long interview to talk about her thoughts, her plans, and what she will bring from Northeast Ohio to the job. Yeah. And, you know, she wants to focus on a lot of the issues that you laid out the other day, Chris. So I'm I'm sure she's listening to you. <laughs> no, I don't. So. <laughs> she, she said she thinks the most pressing thing is is dealing with the effects of the covid crisis and, you know, making sure people can stay in their homes or if they're renting to stay in apartments and, um you know, also assist landlords, you know, not the, she said, not the mega apartment owners, but the, but the smaller landlords who are, who are struggling through this. She said, that's really the number one priority. And then, 
really she wants to focus on, you know, she thinks the agency has really been devastated and, and they need to work on empowering communities and neighborhoods to make sure people can live in a decent house or an apartment. Uh, and, um, you know, the lack of low income and moderate income housing in this country. And so she's, she has a big long list of, of, of things, but those, those were really tops on the list. Yeah, it was a very substantial interview. And I, you know, I, I think when she talked about housing, I, I was a little bit surprised she went to the land bank because that's not really where our housing needs are. I mean, our housing needs are, we have a lot of people living in squalid public housing that's been neglected for decades and shoved into corners. And we really need, if we're going to help people get lift to get them out of there and have them be full members of the community. But, but still, I, you're just, it's exciting to know that somebody who understands these issues is going to be in a position to do something about it. We'll be watching it very closely. Sabrina has a full profile of her coming, right? She does. So stay tuned. That'll probably be coming out Sunday. Okay. It's this week in the CLE, the news podcast succession from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Why is Akron dropping its coronavirus ban on gatherings? And where is this data that Mayor Dan Horrigan says proves the virus is spreading in small gatherings in people's homes? Lord Johnson, while everybody else is talking about moving into tighter restrictions, Dan Horrigan is taking looser restrictions. But before you answer, I do want to point out that earlier in the podcast, it was the fourth day in a row that I asked you to answer a sports question. That's true. That's true. Although it was, I'll give you that that was way more coronavirus and sports related. I didn't have to give you the Browns uh, record for the season or anything. But um, yes, yeah, so Akron is going to drop its ban on gatherings with more than six guests who are not household residents. And this requirement that attendees at smaller gatherings wear masks, not because Dan Horgan doesn't think it's important, but because he says the citywide measures are too small to curb regional spread of the coronavirus. He said other communities declined to enact similar measures and community people from communities all over Summit County, which by the way is still purple after this week, are coming to Akron every day to work that that impeded the effectiveness of Akron's restrictions. So the the gathering ordinance expired Wednesday. They turned out the police never ordered a $250 fine for anyone breaking it. So, but, but Horgan did say that data, quote unquote data, showed that community spread of the coronavirus is happening in homes. He didn't actually give any backup for that. We've talked a lot about it on this podcast that we don't have the numbers, but they did say that it was based on contact tracing by the Summit County Health Department. There seems to be a lot of contradictions in this. Horgan said that he's confident the ordinance captured people's attention, resulted in voluntary compliance, and it, it worked because people scaled back large gatherings. But then he's like, okay, so now we don't need it now that it's Christmas. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I, I really don't get it. I mean, forget the data thing. that We've been talking about that for months. There is no data. If there is data, they're keeping it secret. It's undetectable. Yeah, I mean, if, if they have true data showing the spreads in people's homes, then damn it, they ought to release it because people need to see that because then they'll start believing it. That's been a dodge I think they've used. It's like hospitals saying that their workers don't get sick in the hospital. They get sick at home. It's like bogus, bogus, bogus. They're exposed every day to coronavirus. You really think when they leave, they're going to do that. So I, I'm throwing the flag. I don't believe the da- that he has data because no one has shown us any data. But the part I don't get is he's saying that other communities didn't do this. Doesn't every little bit help? I mean, if your rule prevents 10 people 
from getting together in those gatherings that he's trying to, to restrict. Doesn't that help? I mean, doesn't every person that gets spared from getting this virus count toward toward fighting it? I I, I just didn't get the logic at all here. I don't make it does not make sense to me. He's saying on one hand it worked. On the other, we don't need it. I, I don't know. He says we don't need it while they're purple and while the virus is raging <laughs> out of control. I, I just don't follow it. I've been pretty impressed with him as a mayor, but this is one of those decisions left me scratching my head. I mean, it was such a bizarre decision. I wondered if he was a Republican because it matches up with what some of the crazy Republicans in the legislature or the John Beckers of the world are trying to do. But he's not. So we should point out that he had the coronavirus and he didn't ever tell us how he got it, but just said that he was recovering and it wasn't as bad as some people's cases, but so he, I mean, he knows firsthand what this feels like. And, and he was being a leader. He was, he was doing something strong to try and protect his residents. And he just, Oh, well I give up. Nobody else is doing it. I'll stop. And it's based on data that, <laughs> that no one has ever seen. Okay. You're listening to this week in the CLE. What was Cleveland City Council thinking this week when it added 30 years to the already 30-year-long deferment of taxes for the Flats East Bank project? Will this project really avoid paying full freight on its taxes until the year 2070? Chris Ranowski, I covered City Council a long time ago. I've paid attention to these issues for a long time. I've never seen anything quite like this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the good news is is I don't think any of us will be be around to see it when if when this finally goes onto the tax rolls, but the council voted on Wednesday to extend by 30 years development aid for the Flats East Bank project to help relieve some of its debt burden and open the door for what they think will be more growth. The plan extends tax deferments on the project that were slated to last until 2040 for another 30 years to 2070 and doing so is expected to clear the way for the Wolstein Group to refinance some debt and ensure that the city-backed federal loans will be repaid. The measure still requires the the signature of Mayor Frank Jackson to become effective, but um, but he lobbied the council to approve the extension, so it's it's pretty much a give in. And it's and it's worth pointing out that the taxes for Cleveland schools are not going to be affected by this, but. But, you know, I mean, it is going to sort of turn some heads for some other businesses who are, are also probably struggling, uh, you know, but, but, but there is the issue here that the, that there are, you know, federal loans that, that the city has to make good on. And, and, and I, and, and they're, you know, they're claiming, well, you know, there are about 1800 people who work at businesses on the, on that site. And then it's important to, to make sure that those, those, you know, businesses continue to operate and stuff like it, that. It, you know what, though? They're saying we need this money so that we can pay our loans. So, <laughs> so, so you're still losing money. I mean, if you don't do it and they don't repay the loan, the city's out some amount of money. If mm-hmm. you do do this and they do repay the loan, you're out the seven or the, the 60 years of taxes. What, what I could not find was an, a, a real estimate of how many millions, I'm presuming it's millions, this is worth. I mean, there, you would have thought, well, we should point out city council did kind of a sleazy thing here. They rushed this through on their final meeting of the year because the right, the power to do this kind of thing expires at year's end. So there wasn't a lot of time to go over it and think about it. But I would have thought somebody would have done the calculation. This is what this is worth in lost taxes to Cleveland versus this is what Cleveland will lose if they can't repay their loans. And right. 
Which one's greater? Right. And and it's also worth pointing out that this is kind of this is extremely rare. You know, this is this doesn't happen a lot. You know, the General Assembly gave cities the power to do this. But, you know, it, it's only been considered a handful of times in Ohio. You know, I think the last time, you know, in, in Bob's story, in Bob Higgs's stories is the last time was in November in in when Columbus approved an extension for the Polaris development uh, on the city's northern edge. You know, this is. Which is way, way, way bigger than this right, thing. right, and I, and I it's think- and it's it's you know it's worth it's worth noting that one of the reasons that they needed to do this is because there was a drop of, in revenue there, and and you know I mean I think there there have been some businesses that have been there that have struggled a little bit. They had one restaurant, you know, they were supposed to have a Rascal Flats restaurant that ended up getting like tied up in some bizarre Arizona mob. Or D, I mean, it, you know, I mean, there there have been a lot of issues that have come up that I don't know that were expected, but you yeah, know, but, that's, but that's but, the okay. risk you take in real estate, and right, you know, and it that's an immediate problem. But you have just ransomed sixty years of the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, I or thirty more. I mean, it's just they're making decisions that will affect people who aren't born yet. I mean, it, it, and will be near retirement if they're born now when this all ends. And it it raises questions about how much of a right does government have to, to basically ransom the future for that long. It boggled my mind. I, I've, I've never seen anything like it. Well, I and, just, and, and you, you say there's 1800 people working there. How about you defer their taxes for <laughs> 60 years? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, you know, it's always, you know, the Wolstein group that gets the big deferment. It's never, right, it's the never big the developer, people. right? Yeah, the billionaires, so, the millionaires. Yeah. I, it, this one, I, this one I think should have had a much more robust discussion about ransoming the long-term future of Cleveland. I, you know, what do you think that development will look like in 60 years? I mean, I, when I moved here, the other bank of the flats was robust and within five years it was going belly up. Well, anyway, they're never going to stop building. So it's, it's just building, 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 building. So, you know, it's, you know, it's good for some people, but you we'll, know, we'll, yeah. we'll see how it looks in, in, in 60 years when this runs out. Well, I won't. I won't see it in sixty years. Maybe you will. <laughs> it's this week in the CLE. When are the ski slopes most used by people in Ohio going to open, and what will the operators do to curb the spread of the coronavirus? Laura Jensen, I put this one on just for you. Oh, I'm so excited! <laughs> so, uh, the Vale Resorts in Ohio, which is Boston Mills, Brandywine, Alpine Valley, and Mad River Mountain won't open until December 19th. But some of the bigger New York resorts are set to open this weekend, like Holiday Valley, Peak and Peak. So this year, you're going to have to make reservations to ski because of limited capacity at most of these resorts. The Big Crunch, obviously, is going to be in the lodge, where people are usually crammed at communal tables and in rental lines to get their skis and boots. The reservation system is meant to keep that from happening. And at least at Boston Mills, pass holders are getting the first priority to make the reservation. So you the first day I could make my reservations for December 26th, I have them. Um, you do need to wear masks and not just a fleece gaiter. We've talked about this before on the on the podcast, but that is not your best protection. Concessions are likely to be limited. And so I'm really hoping that uh, we have some sunshine so we can sit outside on some nice sunny ski days. What is complicating the ski season is the travel ban in New York and Pennsylvania because of Ohio's high percentage of positivity testing. So you'd have to quarantine and get some a test before you go to Holiday Valley or Hollymont or even Seven Springs in Pennsylvania. So that's, I don't know how strict these places are going to be, but that is a complicating factor. 
I would think that they could move the concessions outside and set up temporary things. You know, the apple farm I go to did that this fall. Normally they're jam-packed in lines, but they took it outside. They built an extra shelter and they spread things out in a much safer way. I would think that the ski places could easily do that, right? They totally can. And on nice days, at, you know, they usually have like a barbecue outside that people are grilling at. And um, we just don't always have nice days. So Susan Glazer had a great story. And they said they removed 70% of the tables in the lodge at Boston Mills. So there's not going to be places to sit down much anyway. Um, it's And it, it will be really interesting to see what the ski season looks like. But if you have to pick a sport that is socially distant, skiing is a good one. And even the last weekend of ski season last year was the beginning of the coronavirus. And they had signs out that said, stay one ski distant from everybody. Cause a length of, you know, a ski for someone about my height would be about six feet tall. So at least, at least you can't get too close on the slopes. I, I would think a beginner might have trouble uh, maintaining that kind of control, but we'll have to wait and see. You're well, listening and- to this week in the CLE. We're over time. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Chris. Thanks to everybody that listens to this week in the CLE. We will be back on Monday. <laughs>